This podcast is brought to you by patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Head there to check out exclusive podcasts like Talking Futurama, Talk King of the Hill, the What a Cartoon Movie podcast, and tons more. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons, the podcast that's like a party Dick Clark would throw. I'm one of your hosts, the holy concierge Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of the Simpsons. Who else is here with me today as always? Jesus H. Nice! And by that I mean Henry Gilbert. And this week's episode is Pray Anything. Okay, you got two of every animal, but only males. I don't want any hanky-panky. Hey, 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 cut that out! This week's episode originally aired on February 9th, 2003, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> oh my god! Oh boy, Bobby, Martin Bashir's television film Living with Michael Jackson debuts. Phil Spector is the lead suspect in the murder of Lana Clarkson, and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days Beat Shanghai Nights at the box office. I have one thing to say that's ignorant, and I'm done. Yeah. Yep. That special, I think, it really set the stage for how the next generation would view Michael Jackson as all. <laughs> and I swear he must have done it to help his career. It was supposed to make him look normal by yes. letting this Martin Bashir guy in. The, the premise of that documentary was, look how crazy I'm not. Mm-hmm. But it had the reverse effect because he was a truly troubled man with a debilitating drug addiction we didn't even know about at this point. Yeah. And I mean definitely at least one of the children who appeared in it or his family would sue him later i believe as well and i remember some people were saying like the martin Bashir guy also comes off as scummy because he's just chumming around with michael jackson the entire time and then later in the voiceover he's like i was disgusted it's like you don't you don't look so disgusted on camera with this guy but he had a good poker face Mm-hmm. And maybe he's more famous as to British people, whatever his stance is in the UK media. But that was part of a real downfall of Michael Jackson, a continued downfall of him. I mean, that entire South Park episode wouldn't exist without living with Michael Jackson coming out. Yeah, most of my memories come from that episode. Yeah, the Phil Spector thing, he is still in jail for that. But to give you an idea for how slow justice can turn in some cases, so Phil Spector is the lead suspect in the killing of this woman who died in his home in 2003. There would be a mistrial and then a second trial that he's finally found guilty of second-degree murder in 2009. He's still in jail to this day. Oh, for some reason I thought he died. I had checked. I think he's still in jail. Okay. He's still alive in jail. As we say before on the show, he's not dead, but his career is. Yes. I could. You know, I could be mistaken, though. I've been corrected recently about. uh, All you got to do is type in Phil Spector. First link is Wikipedia. It either says Phil Spector is or Phil Spector was. And then you can stop. Here we go. Was. Oh, you were right, Bob. Yes. He died in 2021. He collided with the wall of sound. His car exploded. <laughs> okay, so this was not another Ralphie May situation where I was like, yeah, he's still alive there, Ralphie May. <laughs> Ralphie yeah. May, blown away. What else do I have to say? <laughs> In the not controversial world of music, uh, meanwhile, we move over to the box office. Yes, 
How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. That's the Goldie Hawn's daughter versus Matthew McConaughey movie. She has a name, and her name is Kate Hudson. And also, yes. what's she up to lately? That's my question. She was in Glass Onion and pretty funny in it. Right, right. That was her. Yeah, this was her real rom-com era. I thought she was in a huge bomb this year, but this isn't it. That's Le Divorce. Le oh. Divorce. Right, yeah. And meanwhile, Shanghai Nights is the sequel to Shanghai Noon, where basically the mismatched pair of Owen Wilson and Jackie Chan moved to England to try to save the queen or something. What I remember it for is that um, one of the villains in it is Donnie Yen. And Donnie Yen is one of those guys who tries to never lose a fair fight in a fake movie. Like his character, if his character loses, there's always an excuse. And that's even to Jackie Chan in this movie. The way he gets defeated is somebody shoots a firework at him and he flies off. Like Jackie Chan does not get to beat him in a fight. Oh, interesting. Now, I think I said this on an earlier podcast, but uh, Will Sloan, who's been on the show, is a big Jackie Chan fan. And he watches all the Jackie Chan movies. And when he gets to this era, the American era, he's kind of shocked about how filmmakers thought audiences would have no patience to watch an entire Jackie Chan scene uninterrupted. So it's constantly cutting back to Owen Wilson going oh wow or whatever like and like doing wild takes or whatever they they assume that you would not just be there for the insane acrobatic techniques of Jackie Chan it's just edited poorly and also it's this mix of like he's getting older Jackie is so he can't do as much as he did you know a decade earlier but also like um, American insurance on film sets is not the same as in the Hong Kong films he did and so you also like can't endanger people Jackie included enough for cool stunts like you could on you know the police story film mm-hmm. yes uh, Jackie Chan you may you may climb the ladder but do nothing else with the ladder and make sure someone is under you when you're climbing it so yes this week's episode is pray anything and we have two new writers who are only on just for this episode they're freelancers they were invited to pitch and this is what they pitched and let's talk about their history the writers are the writing partners sam o'neill and neil bouchelle so their first script was for the short-lived jace richdale created sitcom the preston episodes which starred david allen greer this was a fox sitcom uh 10 episodes were produced eight of them aired and it looks like richdale left the simpsons after the Merkineers to create this show and then he came back so this was likely part of a development deal he had with fox after the simpsons Wow, so he does 10 episodes of DAG, and then he comes crawling back to David Merkin to take the next script. Merkin chucks his way. Well, he left after Merkin's years were over, and then he Ah. comes back to work with uh, Mike Scully after he dabbles a bit in Hollywood, but... I've learned that Jace Richdale, I think he is a Dexter guy. He like would go on to write uh, some Dexters, and oh, he may be responsible for the line that's on the inside of my wife in my wedding rings, which is good waffles. So, oh yeah, we have not discovered who that is. We may never discover it. <laughs> These two guys together, they should have just, especially since I think they maybe they're even still working together, but they should just be Sam O'Neill Bushell. Yes, it is interesting how uh, one's last name is the other's first name. <laughs> I've complained many times on this show where, you know, it's the head writer of like Alf or Letterman who gets handed one of these freelance scripts. So this is what I had been asking for. This is relatively younger, fresher faces being handed a script, right? Yes, they've only had eight years experience writing for sitcoms. So they're some of the newer, fresher faces that are not right. 
the usual freelancers who, let's say, were head writers for David Letterman for a decade. Or went to Harvard before Al Jean went to Harvard. <laughs> yeah, I, I did a quick search like, this person's name Harvard? That person's name Harvard? Nothing came up, but perhaps, perhaps they're mm-hmm. Harvard guys. So, yes, they worked on that uh, David Allen Greer sitcom that went nowhere. Then they moved on to be story editors on the first season of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. They wrote one episode of that. Sorry, they worked with Nell Scoville then. Uh, uh, she was showrunner of season one of that show. Yes, I assume so. If they were story editors, they were the lowest rung on the ladder or whatever. So from there, they went to this other ABC sitcom called Brothers Keeper. I have no idea what this is. I've never seen it. But they were also story editors and writers on that. And outside of being executive story editors and writers on the first season of American Dad, they are basically just guns for hire. They've written episodes of things like Baby Blues and The Mullet, Son of the Beach, the Emperor's New School, and I'm not sure what they're doing now, but their last scripts together seem to have been for something called Nella in the Princess Night in 2019, and that mm-hmm. was after a eight-year hiatus in their writing careers, although Neil Bouchel alone is currently a writer on something called The Unstoppable Yellow Yeti, so it seems like their pairing has ceased as of 2019. Interesting. Well, I mean, lots of shows, you know, don't exist these days anyway. So they, you could tell me they wrote on a Netflix show for like five years now, and I believe it. That yeah, I've never heard of. Yeah, but it seems like they're they're not like on staff a lot. Uh, they're rarely on staff in their careers, so maybe they have other things going on in their lives. But yeah, just like maybe like three producer credits to their name. And then a lot of freelance scripts. So these guys did not go on to become juggernauts in the comedy writing world. But this was probably, I'm guessing, the highlight of their career is getting a script on The Simpsons and getting nearly the 300th episode. This is like, what, 299 are we at? For them? Well, 301 by the real count, but this is the one before the one they call the 300th episode. I mean yeah. the fake count. We we covered yeah. the real one, which was Strong Arms of the Maw, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, now I wish I'd have known that they worked on the mullets as well before, because we just hung out with the co-creator of the mullets, Bill Oakley, and could ask him, like... Hey, what's the deal with these guys? Like, they don't even have a LinkedIn page as far as I can see. Yeah, I guess they were sniffing around for opportunities and maybe they didn't like the world of staff writing on a TV show. So they chose to just freelance. But this is them. This is kind of their peak of their career. And hey, maybe they consider American Dad the peak of their career. Who knows? But I, I feel like if you're a comedy writer, getting a Simpsons script is a big deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, and you mentioned American Dad. That really, this feels like, more of an American Dad episode than a Simpsons episode, I also have to say. Like, this takes the big third act turn that I more associate with American Dad, especially with the biblical reality of like, yeah, there's a real God, and he like, that would, I wouldn't bat an eyelash at that on American Dad. But here, I don't like it in this episode. Uh, Sure, things get a little crazy in this episode, although I think there's a lot of American Dads that are much funnier and better written than this one. I'm not a big fan of this one. Uh, I think you compared it to homer the heretic and yeah this is kind of like a shitty homer the heretic exactly it shows you what happens if you don't have a perfect writer like george meyer writing it actually since we did that episode i found on internet archive a original table draft for homer the heretic and there's even a few like bits like oh they even tuned it up from his original script but there's still a whole lot in that script that's on the screen. And yeah, meanwhile, this just doesn't have much to say about religion. It seems to think it's very heady with religion, and but it's like uh, South Park episodes about religion go deeper than this and have more to say. Yeah, I guess this is based on an idea the writers had because they, they heard something on NP- 
NPR about the prosperity gospel. Uh, and that's basically people using faith as a reason to excuse their riches and why they don't give to charity and why other people don't deserve as much as them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But really, the politics of the prosperity gospel, any criticisms of it are not present in this episode. It's just like, what if Homer was extremely lucky for a long time and then God decided to step in or something? I'm not really sure what's happening in this, but this third act, I mean, it just it has no juice in it. There's like Homer throws a party at the church and then the party continues until it stops the end. Yeah, it also feels like these guys just thought of Homer as like, oh, yeah, this is like party drunk Homer. It's like, boy, I feel like we're back into Mike Scully episode with how much Homer parties and drinks in this one comparatively. He's even a producer on this episode. So Homer singing to kiss while playing the crucifix. That could be Mike Scully's fantasy for all we know. No, I mean, that prosperity gospel thing, especially when I heard that on the commentary, and I was like, wait, that's what this is critiquing? Because there is so much to critique about prosperity gospel. Like, you know, a distant relative whom I have never met is one of the more evil people who preach that gospel, Kenneth Copeland. But the thing you would mock in that is that it's rich people scamming the most deep believers into sending them money. And because like, well, if you send me money, you'll get the money back tenfold. And oh, do I look like I am rich in a way that Jesus would? to prove of shows what you know this is actually god saying i'm great because i'm so rich yeah in this episode homer sues the church for honestly something that i would consider them at fault for you know for leaving a big open trench without any sort of like safety barriers around it so they really lose the prosperity gospel it's just like what if homer was really sacrilegious that's really the the pitch to me yeah which is just homer the heretic which at least came with a lot of like fun you know, teenage non-believer talk at the very least. Still not even particularly that deep talk of Homer when he's a non-believer, but but it's also like, no, Homer is a believer, but in his own way. Yeah, I mean, Homer just wants to get drunk. He forgets what his belief in praying even is. This is just a weak, weak episode. This is my least favorite I've watched this season, I think. And we just did Strong Arms of the Ma when I thought like that was my least favorite one. Yeah, at least with Large Marge and Strong Arms of the Ma, there were things to gawk at. Just strange Mm. choices. This just feels very, very bland. We'll talk about it, not to give too much of a preamble, but the back half has no juice. So it's like Homer prays for this and he gets it. Then he prays for that and he gets it. Then he prays for another thing and he gets it. The story just decides to arbitrarily end when it ends. Mm. And it's really hurt by multiple times in this episode. They just do like the shadow of a thing they've done before or even them just going like, oh, yeah, we wish we had this character still for this because this is much weaker without that character. I also find that they just don't know what to do. So they just slam the Mo button every five minutes. Like what if Mo did something disgusting here? He is all over this episode. And honestly, they're the funniest parts, but it feels like they added too much Mo because everything else was a little too bland. It's funny with how much Mo is in this though. No Mo suicide in this one. He's not so suicidal comparatively. He's hornier this one. Well, he found love. Oh, yes, that's true. (laughs) The episode begins first with a chalkboard gag about SpongeBob SquarePants being a contraceptive, which really sticks it in 2003. I mean, again, I don't know much about contraceptives that heterosexuals would use, but I would assume this is the same thing as the sponge that Elaine uses in Seinfeld. Yeah, and I think at this point they were no longer on the market. I mean, that's what that Seinfeld was about. Mm Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. It it soaks up things down there, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it absorbs things. Honestly, they were never in that much use in my bachelor days. I never encountered one in the wild is what I'm saying. 
We have a SpongeBob. I mean, that shows you where we're at in time here where they're just like, SpongeBob? Who'd ever heard of that thing? That's a weird word, SpongeBob. And SpongeBob mania sweeping the globe. Yeah, you could walk in any sun coast. There's a SpongeBob section. Most mm-hmm. malls are SpongeBob shrines to SpongeBob. It's the post 9-11 SpongeBob boom. I mean, this episode also has a Tony Soprano reference. Just to let you know, we're in 2003 hardcore here. Then we head to the WNBA, which I got to say, it's it's pretty mean to the WNBA for an episode having one of their top stars in it as a guest star. Yeah, Lisa Leslie. And this reminds me of all of the other WNBA jokes from this era. There's one in Amazon Women in the Mood. Uh, when they go to the Amazon planet and the guys complain that there's no dunking, but there are good fundamentals in the Amazon Basketball Association. And then there's a joke in Clerks, the animated series, where they cut away to a WNBA game in progress and no one is there and the players are crying and the announcer goes, we never turned to Roland Grace. Right, yes. yeah. It was that Amazon women joke that made me remember Lisa Leslie because... I had looked up who was the first person to dunk in the WNBA history, and it's her. She is the first Mm -hmm. dunker. And then to hear, it's also like, Al Jean is not very nice to the guest star in this, too. Like, even he is on the commentary going like, yeah, this sucks. Like, I mean, this is too many people to be in the stands at a WNBA game. He's, he's not a fan of this. I mean, Lisa Leslie, yes, she is six foot five, the first woman to dunk in a WNBA game. She's probably on the show because she played for the Los Angeles team, the Sparks, from 97 to 2009. I uh, looked up to see where she is today. Of course, she's a sports commentator, and unexpectedly, she is a realtor. So she became a landlord with her riches. Oh, oof. Yeah, that's not so You hate to see it. You hate to see it. Also, you know, attendance at WNBA games, they are basically a third of what NBA games get. Currently, they're having, though, their best ticket sales of the last 13 years, uh, averaging about 6,600 fans per game, which comparatively, the average at an NBA game in 2023 was about 18K. So, you know. Yeah, and I, I guess we were seeing all of these jokes about the WNBA because it basically just started in 1997. So mm-hmm. once the animation production cycle catches up, you're seeing jokes in the late 90s, early aughts about the women's league. But it fits that Lisa would be a fan of it and would want to go to it. It, it also did sound like Al Jean is mad his daughter brought him to WNBA <laughs> games at times. To possibly growl at giant Chinese ladies. Yeah. Also, to hear that, like, this was partially Al Jean getting revenge for in Children of a Lesser Clod that they tried to get any NBA star and they all turned him down. And so he's like, fine. Next time we do a basketball thing, it's the WNBA. How do you like that, NBA? Yeah, I think the writers pitched this as an NBA game, but Al Jean went a different route, which I think is funnier. I mean, it's meaner, but you don't Mm. see WNBA things on TV ever. But yes, in our first clip, we begin with Bart being admonished for his sexuality. Take us to a WNBA game. Yeah, well, nachos are nachos. Whoa, check out Janine Giraffalo. That's Funk Pang Lee, the seven-foot sensation from Szechuan. Szechuan, eh? No wonder she's so spicy. Wow, Bart, you're a little young to be growling at seven-foot Chinese ladies. Fine, I'll go back to being bored. Wow, I wonder what it would be like to be with a woman like that. Leslie, she 
showed little girls everywhere that they can grow up to be six foot five. Lisa Leslie, you got game! I think you mean I have game. Try to speak correctly. You go, girl. Yes, I will depart, lest your bad grammar rub off on me. And of course, Homer was naming his favorite Pokemon, Farfetch. <laughs> I mean, uh, that was, you know, we've seen many times where Homer has what seems to be a sexual fantasy, and then it, it's him eating something, but... Him saying, mm, far-fetched, that gave me a chuckle. Mm-hmm. I did like that. Not very kind to the WNBA in general. No, I mean, and also, too, like a joke about, again, saying, you go, girl. Like, that seems a bit like, let's say, at the very least, school marmish to, to say that's bad grammar and to be upset at it. Yeah, I think even later, a scene ends with Homer doing, like, a sassy line that feels very much of the you go, girl, you so crazy kind of thing, but it's not really commented on. Yeah, no, it's not used as a joke. He just says, it's all good. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. That, I, strange. I, that I guess it's unusual for Homer to say that. I don't know. I, I need something to follow that up. And the actual tallest player in the WNBA is not a seven-foot sensation from Szechuan, which is a fun term, but it's Malgorzata Didek. She is 7'2", so actually taller than this fantasy player was. Hmm. I think I think Lisa Leslie does fine acting here. She's, you know, for sports guest star acting, I think she sounds like a better actor than magic johnson oh yes yes i'm trying to summon his lines in my head guess i pulled a homer Uh, i don't care is that one of them (laughs) yes (laughs) i mean incredible pain then we get our first of our mo jokes to soften up this episode as i mean i do like that at a wnba game I don't believe they have highly sexualized mascots at wnba games like swish Mm -mm. so i think it's a funny idea (laughs) and you know what Despite doing a WNBA joke, not one joke about any player being a lesbian. No joke about that. Or possibly, you know, uh, sign male at birth. Yes, yeah. Fortunately, they stayed away from all that. Maybe I would bet in the writer's room there were some jokes like that that they're like, well, Lisa Leslie's not going to like that, guys. Let's not make that joke. They used all of their best material in Strong Arms of the Maw. Oh, right. Yeah, you're right. They're all hated out after that episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then Swish is revealed to be Moe's true love in this quick little clip. Oh, I can see a logo and everything. Oh, ha. <laughs> hey, come back. Hey, I love you. Hey. Oh. <gasps> God darn it. Swish was everything I'm not. Put the head back on. <laughs> you know, actually, now you played the clip, it's like, well, there's a ton of Mo, but also a ton of Lenny and Carl, too. Yeah, you're right. They have major lines in every act, really. I do like, so Gil, as Swish, is flirting with Mo, And I mean, that also feels like it counts as a gay joke to call the character Swish, you know. Oh, which, hey, you know what? I just caught that. <laughs> you know, on the commentary, Al Jean says something I disagree with. I think Gil's legs could look that good in pantyhose. Mm-hmm. Pantyhose does a lot for the leg. I think he could have that sexy of a figure. And yeah, that Mo doesn't care. And you know what? I feel like Gil is halfway there to accepting this. Like, he will have sex with Mo wearing that costume, I think. He's at a low enough place. He can just become Swish. Swish is everything yeah. he's not. Just become Swish. I mean, the way he tussles Mo's hair, it's like, I don't know. I guess if you're in character, lots of characters do things. I don't think the San Diego chicken actually is the actor inside of it. So, so if Minnie Mouse blows you a kiss, it's not an invitation. Mm-hmm, exactly or if uh goofy gives me a high five the actor inside is not actually my friend he doesn't actually think you're cool <laughs> but yeah so they then have a little contest and i always like a misdirect of that homer 
thinks he's going to win a contest because it's bad script writing to be like, and then the character wins a contest to bring them to the next thing. I, I guess they invent the WNFL for this gag. Mm-hmm, which still does not exist. I do like how Barco's no love lost there, implying that there is a long rivalry between the cowgirls and the she-girls. Also, the design on the ticket of the, I believe the football is getting like a perm. In a, oh, I must have <laughs> missed that. Okay. I mean, just use every a chance to be sexist. It's fine. So instead, it is actually Ned who wins, and he's going to make the half-court shot, and this is where they share a fun story. Yeah, yeah, I guess the recently passed away Mark Wilmore was one of these guys who was selected out of the crowd to make the half-court shot, and he said that, uh, he's not on the commentary, they're speaking for him, but he said that everyone was on his side until he missed, and then he was being harassed the rest of the night, even in the parking lot. I gotta say, I would want to win those things, but win a chance to either zero or nothing and take a shot like I don't think I would want that the pressure if you gave me a hundred tries to make a half court shot I doubt I could make it my chances would be very slow with like a three-point shot so yes yeah I I feel like you give me a hundred tries with a three-point shot maybe twice I think I could do it twice also the late Mark Wilmore they just gave him in a recent season 35 episode they created a character Like, there's a group of Homer with crossing guards, and one is so conspicuous as to be somebody, and they're like, well, yeah, this is a guy in a Raiders cap. This is, like, of the Oakland Raiders wearing a hat of him. And they said, yeah, that's Raiders dad, a tribute to Mark Wilmore. So, Hmm. sweet. Ned takes his shot. Even Lisa Leslie thinks that he's too effeminate and a loser (laughs) for liking women's sports. Yeah, he's talking about, you know, all the male sports he watches, like speed walking, ballroom dancing, rhythmic gymnastics, extreme choir. And she's like, just shut up and miss. <laughs> but he does not miss, thanks to his prayer. He makes it and it goes in the hoop. It, it bounces for an impossible amount of time, which is pretty funny. Bounces and for long they- enough for Mo to propose to Gil. Uh, if only we saw if he accepted or not but uh this is also when they have some fun very down-to-earth stories on the commentary about getting to use jim brooks's courtside seat clippers season tickets yeah we can all relate to that can't we (laughs) our bosses who all have courtside seats at the clippers but i guess that shows you where brooks is at though those aren't laker tickets they're the clippers they're Mm. the next one down Well, I actually, because my mom was a nurse and worked for doctors, we got courtside seats one time to a Cavs game. This is pre-King James era, though, so it wasn't like a very important game to go to. I saw Larry Bird coaching another team. I was like, hey, it's a big, (laughs) ugly white guy that used to play basketball. He started that one video game on the NES. Yeah, that's really what I took from it. (laughs) Yeah, so he makes it. He says he's going to be donating it all to Bibles for Belgians, which makes Rich Texan so happy that he's going to give him $100,000, but he doesn't shoot his guns. I wonder if it's because he's in the same shot as Lisa Leslie, and again, they're like, eh, maybe she wouldn't like that. Maybe this giant white guy shouldn't be shooting a gun in the same shot with her. <laughs> you know, I love seeing Rich Texan every time, though, because we just did the new kid on the block, and in that, they had the game over screen of the, you know, proto-Rich Texan, and I just love seeing how he's grown over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they then head outside, and this is when... Ned even gets to drive home in the Wienermobile, which, you know, my mom loved the Wienermobile. Like, anytime it was in town, she was like, let's go get a picture at the Wienermobile. Like, she was like, if you saw in the Santa Claus, Judge Reinhold's character always wanted a weenie whistle. My mom was just like that. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we would see it occasionally around town, but there were no photo ops. Yeah, I think we only really went to one true photo op, but she had a beloved weenie whistle she kept at her desk at work that she loved to loved to blow into when needed. But uh, <laughs> when there were hot dog based emergencies. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it was at a law firm, so you know, you never know. <laughs> no, I mean, when the mood struck her uh, to have fun. But this is when Homer just can't take it anymore. I'm sorry, sir. Your car's still blocked in. Well, I guess Flanders doesn't have all the luck. So we'll let you drive home in the Wienermobile. Well, hot dog! Yay! That cuts the mustard with me. Oh, it's not fair. I always wanted to drive a food-shaped car. <laughs> the steering wheel is a giant onion ring. They thought of everything. <laughs> How come all the good things happen to Jesus H. Nice? <laughs> By which I mean Flanders. <laughs> I do enjoy that Homer, he thinks his pun wasn't descriptive enough. While clever, mm-hmm. it didn't really indicate, you know, entirely who he was talking about. So he had to clarify it's nice that even he can recognize, like, yeah, you know, this pun is too good for me, or too sideways. Also, I mean, talk about well-trod territory. Like, Homer has been jealous of Ned for eight million episodes, and this is the one where he's like, oh, I should pray. I Though I wish there had been a line where Ned goes, they could have at least have him say, like, yeah, I guess I am lucky, except for when my wife would died. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, you know, I was thinking of that. Flanders isn't that lucky. He lost his soulmate, and then... In the future, he'll lose another one. That's right. And his entire home was destroyed by a hurricane and the only house that was destroyed by one. But yeah, no, and this time Homer is very jealous. And I will give Mike Polcino and his team credit for the very good animation of the silly idea that Homer is swinging. And every time he swings up, he says dough. And like, I mean, the timing for that, I mean, it's just really well done. Yeah, he's swinging up on a swing set to look over the fence with binoculars. Every time the swing set goes back down, he says, Doe. It's very complicated. It's even complicated to write out the action. Homer admits that the grass is literally greener over there. Marge is trying to bring up the real problem for Homer, why it's harder. He's an alcoholic who passes out all the time. There's a lot of passed out Homer-shaped patches of dead grass on the uh, lawn. And then there's an okay joke of Homer acting mad, and then it's just a hard cut to him asking Ned for advice over tea. You know what? I like to think, especially when he's listing all the things, again, this is just like when he explained how he was 63 years old, just all the care he takes in himself. Yeah, flossing his teeth, tail, and toes. Lots of straight guys could learn from Ned about cleaning your butt. Oh, okay. Is this a problem now? I just base this on... Every now and then it will go viral on Twitter of women complaining about how straight guys are not cleaning their butts the way they ought to because they are scared to. You know what? I'm not going to say reveal anything about myself, but I run a tight ship. That's all I'm going to say. Hey, you're just like Flanders. Mm -hmm. There's nothing sexual about it. It's just clean living as God would want it. It's maintenance. Yeah. I also like that Homer even says, it sickens me. And then Ned is just still smiling at hearing that it sickens him. And Ned describes all these other things. And then he just says, and a prayer now and then. And that Homer takes away only the prayer for it. I wish he was stroking his chin and said, hey, though, when he said it. Mike Scully wasn't fully in control. He would have. Okay, so here was the part of the episode, and this is the the surprise I have for you, Bob. Okay, so wait, I'm not going to steal your fire, Henry. Is it Ken Burns related? It is. Okay, please continue. I'm sorry. I watched this episode first on Disney+, Plus because that's how I capture the audio. And when I do that, and they have Ken Burns in the scene, it sounds like this. And now, Ken Burns, a documentary by Ken Burns, 
about the life of Ken Burns. Ew, where's the remote? Ever since he was a young man, Ken Burns has loved two things, baseball and jazz. They so consume my life, I never had time for a proper haircut. Well, if I don't have the remote, I can just get up and change the channel. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'll do what Flanders does. Oh, merciful God, who has blessed mankind with two kinds of clam chowder. Help me find the remote. <gasps> there it is! I've never actually been to a baseball game. The fresh air gives me hives. Die, monster! You're watching. Okay, I know what you're going to reveal here. I did not know about this. So before the recording, I told you I watched the DVD version. I only watched the DVD version for the commentary, so I did watch it on Disney+. And when I was done... I was like, uh, that's Hank Azaria doing a very insulting impression of Ken Burns. But then he's there in the credits, and then I like double check it online. It's like, oh no, that's him, and he's in like three other episodes. So I thought I was going insane, but Henry, please reveal what's happening here. So yes, that's the version on Disney Plus. And it really confused me too, because I first wrote in my notes. Somebody needs to update the Simpsons wiki and the official Wikipedia page for this episode, too, because both say Ken Burns as himself. And I was like, no, that is clearly Hank Azaria doing a rather effeminate voice. But then I pulled out my DVD for my next set of research, and this is how it is on the DVD. They so consume my life, I never had time for a proper haircut. I've never actually been to a baseball game. The fresh air gives me hives. Die, monster! Okay, okay, so that solves a mystery. Yeah, I wonder what happened because, you know, we know the story of how this works where someone will do a temp voice if they need one to do lip sync before the guest comes in and will match the track. So it, it sounds like for whatever reason, they got that version on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I think they... Clearly had a temp track for some point of it, and then they must have done what they often do of like, well, let's reach out to the famous person. And I think they even say it on the commentary that Ken Burns is like addicted or he's a big Simpsons fan. So even though this is very mean to him, it's he's like, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. And so he does the voice. It was so crazy seeing that on Disney Plus. I don't know how it happened, but they have the version uh, with the temp voice, which I wonder how that happens. Like, is the version in the Disney vault the uh, pre-air version? And did Ken Burns come in really late? Hmm. I don't recall my memories of the first viewing of the, except for one, which I'll talk about soon. But I don't remember what the voice was, but maybe this was something that he came in and did the rerun. Maybe he came in to voice himself for the rerun and they're going with the first track, but then he's in the credits. So I don't understand what's happening here. But it definitely was late. It almost sounds like Al Jean, I mean, he's still sharpening his axe about this, which Al Jean's big problem is that it's too Yankee focused. The baseball documentary, that's his major problem because when his Detroit Tigers, Al Jean's team, when he was growing up, won the World Series, when it gets to that in the baseball documentary, he really only talks about how the Yankees performed in their losing effort to the Detroit Tigers, not who won that World Series. And, you know, I still have not seen any Ken Burns documentaries. Oh, really? Yeah. I've seen a few. They're not bad. Well, one is, and I'll get to that. But no, I mean, the baseball one, I remember being fine. I liked his one on 
Anthony Johnson, the first African-American world boxing champion. I thought it was good. And his jazz one, I didn't see that one. His Civil War one, I remember being good too, though. That was a weird time. Let me just say, that was a weird time to be watching it growing up in the South. I did not realize how much was going on at that time with uh, people in Atlanta watching it. I think the thing is, I saw so many parodies of the Civil War documentary that I felt like I, I watched it. But mm. <laughs> also, it was never like that readily available to me, these documentaries. I know they aired on PBS and stuff, but if they were like on streaming instantly somewhere for me, I might have seen them by now, but that's my excuse. I mean, when I was growing up as a kid in the South, I look back on some moments of people talking about watching the Civil War doc, and there's like the episode where it's clear the South is about to lose, and I now think back, I'm like, oh, that teacher was mad about when the series continued for a reason i didn't understand then they were mad about the south losing it was the reverse of roots i guess is what i'm saying it was uh, for some people <laughs> but, hey, we're uh, but yeah, about I, I, on this episode correct yes yeah that's okay. what i was thinking about okay they did have ken burns back for nedley's catch the episode where he ends up with edna oh damn yeah he's back like three more times after this which i had no idea he was a repeat cast The Simpsons will be right back. Wondering where to go this vacation? Why not visit Springfield for the perfect weekend getaway with the Simpsons DVD collection? Faster, Marge! Faster! The snapping turtles are messing! You'll be hosted by some of the friendliest people in town. Oh, hello! Now, what do you want? And don't worry, they all speak your language. Well, while in town, check out the special DVD-themed compilations featuring classic episodes. Rock and roll! And what would a trip to Springfield be without picking up the Collector's Edition season box sets? Now you're talking. Each loaded with never-before-seen footage and special features. Yes, 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 this rocks! Even if you've been here before, you'll fall in love all over again. <laughs> in Springfield, there's fun to enjoy. Again and again. And remember, don't return home without bringing back the entire collection of The Simpsons on DVD for your family and friends. Who knows? You may decide to settle down in Springfield forever. Yeah! Whoa! Excellent, Marge! Yes! Welcome to the break, everybody. I pray you are having a good time listening to this week's podcast. Me and Bob love doing it for you every week, and this week is no different, even when it's an episode we both think is kind of not so good. But hey, we're having a good time anyway, and we can only have this good time and give you guys a good time thanks to the support of listeners like you at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. You know it, you love it. That is where you get tons of exclusive content in addition to knowing that it's me and Bob's full-time jobs. Five bucks a month gets you access to a brand new episode of Talking Futurama and a brand new episode of Talk King of the Hill every month, us covering those animated series just as in-depth as we do every episode of The Simpsons. We are nearing the end of season four of Futurama and at about the midpoint of season three of King of the Hill. It's a whole lot of fun. You can hear all of those, plus our over 150 previous exclusive to Patreon podcasts of us covering all the previous episodes of Futurama and King of the Hill. Every episode of 
the Critic, every episode of Mission Hill, and many of our favorite episodes of Batman the Animated Series. There's so much cool stuff at patreon.com slash talking simpsons that you are missing out on, so please head over there to check it out. But if you want something even nicer than a Dick Clark party, then you should head over to that premium level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. $10 a month gets you all the $5 things I mentioned in the previous little bit. And then you get our premium What a Cartoon Movie podcast each and every month. Us covering an animated feature film just as deeply and completely as we do an episode of The Simpsons, which often means talking for over four or five or even six hours about an animated feature film. This month, we're getting into the holiday spirit with the Muppet Christmas Carol, one of me and Bob's all-time favorites that gets us back into the Muppety world that may as well be animated. Uh, but the previous month, we covered a very different movie, 1986's Project Aiko, a true anime classic with an amazing story behind its creation. The month before that, Tim Burton's Corpse Ride got us in the Halloween spirit, and there's so, so much more there. We did a whole month of Pixar movies. We've covered everything from Akira to a Goofy movie, Beavis and Butthead to the universe to Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. A ton and ton, ton of great stuff we have on there. Five years worth of it even 250 hours including our longest podcast ever six and a half hours about who framed roger rabbit you gotta i am telling you you gotta check it all out for yourself so please head over to patreon.com slash talking simpsons to see everything you have been missing a cartoon movies sign up today to see everything you've been missing visit patreon.com slash talking simpsons now 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 to see it all Of course, if you want some, you know, balanced journalism on Ken Burns, you should listen to Citations Needed Podcast, our pals. They have a couple good episodes about the Vietnam doc he did, which is mainly just war crime apologia for what America did in Vietnam. Their perfect analogy is that basically Ken Burns is trying to argue murder down into manslaughter. Uh, it's like, well, it's accident. You know, hey, his haircut still sucks. I looked it up 20 years later. It's the same haircut. And yeah, he should get a proper haircut. And did you know he was in the news recently for Clarence Thomas related thing? Oh, no, I didn't see this. There was a a new story on like there's too many to keep track of but there was a more recent story of Clarence Thomas being revealed to have gone on like another rich guy bribery trip or series of trips this time with David Koch and the first picture at the top of it is a picture of Clarence Thomas Ken Burns and David Koch all together and Ken Burns had to release like a statement of like Clarence Thomas wanted a picture. We were all at the same rich guy summit, but I'm not <laughs> friends with him and I don't support what he's doing. He was being gifted a golden statue of Hitler. I mean, he doesn't <laughs> like the guy. The statue was to remind him about how he's bad. What Ken Burns didn't say was like, well, of course I am friends with David Koch. Like he funded my Vietnam <laughs> documentary. Great. You know, look, hey, Ken Burns does make some good documentaries, but we're a fair and balanced podcast. Mm -hmm. But yes, the Homer turns away from Ken Burns to, I would suppose Ken Burns was okay with this joke because it is that like Homer is such a low class loser, he'd hate Ken Burns. Maybe Burns didn't think it was entirely at his expense. Yeah, and Homer wants him to die. So a guy like Homer would not be into what Ken Burns, his shtick is. Instead, he's into Monkey Olympics, another of the like, boy, the this is the monkey cheese era of comedy, is it not? Yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, these we just had Monkey Trauma Award recently, 
And yep. I mean, I'm glad it's off screen because it's a low class joke to go out on act one. So I guess Homer's first, I guess his second successful prayer is when the judges give the monkey figure skater a low score. Uh, he prays that the thrown diaper hits one of them in the face and it does. Yep. And any schnoz too. At least Homer says a funny word like schnoz. Yeah, he's, he used the word schnoz, which I approve of. But no, I mean, monkeys throwing shit. I'm so tired of that joke. I mean, in fairness, even in the shorts, they did a monkey throw shit in Homer's face joke, and you actually see it hit. I have to wonder if Matt Groening signed off on that. It seems like not his thing, but it was 1988. Mm-hmm. At least it was like fresher and like shocking to see on TV. But yeah, so they didn't go to commercial. When they come back, this feels like another of these moments where Al Jean remembers a joke they used to do. He's like, hey, remember when we did Bed Goes Up, Bed Goes Down? We oh yeah, do that. And the singing of bringing in the sheaves. Yes, yeah, it's both those things. <laughs> Listen to just how much extra time they eke out of Homer here in this repetition. Hmm. Vengeful God, loving God. Vengeful God, loving God. Vengeful God, loving God. Vengeful God, loving God. <laughs> I could do this all day, and I just might. Vengeful God, loving God. Vengeful God, loving God. Setting up a prayer station, eh, Homer? You know, I used to think God only helped professional athletes and Grammy winners. But now I realize he helps schmoes like me too, Carl. Makes sense to me. Oh, by the way, did you see the judging in the monkey figure skating? Who's been out of you got appealed to get a 5.9? Yeah, <laughs> could not believe that. <laughs> I guess the joke there is you don't expect them to reference that weird act break joke, but Carl was there at home upset about it. <laughs> He's deeply invested in Monkey Olympics, and specifically the figure skating. And also, I can appreciate a play on the whose dick you gotta suck line with whose banana you gotta peel. Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah. I get away with something there. And then Homer ends up being correct about how Colonel Sanders is basically a Jesus figure in heaven, <laughs> feeding God popcorn shrimp or chicken? It's uh, Popcorn chicken. Chicken, yes. Well, yes, Bob. I looked a little into this. Popcorn chicken is technically is a KFC invention. I mean, not really, but Eugene Gagliardi is the inventor. He first invented steakums and then he invented popcorn chicken. Wow, what a monster. So, you know, so I, basically he was shopping it around. He's like, oh, what if we put a little batter on tiny pieces of chicken? And KFC bought the idea. They first introduced it in 1992. In 2001, it became a regular menu item. So that is why Homer has it on the brain here. Okay. Yeah, I mean, while I still ate meat, I ate a ton of popcorn chicken, I feel. But it's basically making the nugget more cost effective in which a nugget meal is maybe, let's say, a 20% batter. Popcorn chicken is like 65% batter to meat ratio. And it's lower quality small chunk of chicken than you even have to use for a McNugget. Yeah, you don't know what you're getting. You can bite into a McNugget and examine the meat quality. With popcorn chicken, it's all going in your mouth. Who knows what amount of gristle and beaks and toes are in that ball, <laughs> that mystery ball. And of course, I use the term invented in quotes because guess what? Before 1992 in America, many places around the world had small bits of chicken that were battered and then fried. It was hardly KFC that started it with popcorn but chicken. They called it popcorn to give you the idea, oh, light and uh, healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It probably is more unhealthy than just a big like drumstick mm -hmm. or whatever. Absolutely. Then Homer accidentally, well, I'm pretty sure he kills two men in this, don't you think, in this car crash? Yeah, but then he invents candied bacon, 
So I mm-hmm. guess their lives were not spent, you know, uh, unnecessarily. So this fudge bacon sort of exists as a buyable item in Universal. It's a mashup of two later, and by late I mean season 14 and 15, <laughs> references. So basically at Universal, you can buy Farmer Billy's Choco Bacon Bar, which my mom did buy for me when we first went and... I mean, it's fine. It's like bacon jerky with chocolate on it. It's all right. But. Yeah, I mean, it's an easy equation. You put chocolate on anything that's savory, and it's perfect. It works. Mm-hmm. It always works, no matter how weird it sounds. So it is sort of this, but also in the Pie Man episode in season 15, there's also Farmer Billy's Bacon Factory. And so it takes Farmer Billy from that and then puts it together with the fudge bacon in this. They couldn't get the Johnny Bench sponsorship for this. You know, Farmer Billy is funny and all, but I preferred Farmer Bench. No, Johnny Bench, the actual baseball celebrity. Then that's why it's not at, uh, that's why it's not Universal. They'd have to pay that guy. Yeah. I guess the joke is he did a lot of like odd sponsorships in the 80s, Johnny Bench. I, I know about Johnny Bench through Scholar Brothers bit about him. Oh, okay. <laughs> they are the jocks of old podcast comedy. Yeah. I'm glad they changed the name of their podcast because it used to be called uh, Sklarbro Country, like a pun on Scarbro Country, the uh, county or whatever, that Republican TV show. The MSNBC Republican. Do yeah. we remember Joe Scarborough, everybody? I think he's still on TV, I think. Okay, but I would tell people about the Sklar Brothers podcast, which might still be running, and they'd be like, oh, you listen to that? And I would have to say, no, it's like comedians making fun of another podcast name. But Or if it's still running, it was called Dumb People Town afterwards. I suppose that's better. You know, it's a very mid-aughts, late-aughts choice in podcasting of being too clever with your podcast title. It's one we tried to stay away from when we named this. Yeah, we had a lot of proposed names for this that did not indicate what it was, so... Mm. We wanted to go for the most, uh, you know, easy to recognize name. So after that prayer works in Homer getting free choco bacon or fudge bacon, then he is praying for Bart's help, which Bart is reading about the shorebirds of Maryland, which is a good weird thing. And I also like Bart's kind of like angry look at Homer is it's a funny drawing. I chuckled at that. Then Homer's trying to unstick the sink, which I just recently did this. I bought a brand new plunger and I didn't even need to pray. I just chunk it only took like one pump it unstuck my sink what was the culprit i had some burnt up stuff in a pan that i was like oh the garbage disposal can take this the garbage disposal could not take that Mm. (laughs) but hey it's all good now it's all more to say it's all good i'm proud to report that dumb people town is currently available wherever fine podcasts are sold or got for free Good for them. I wonder, have they started a Patreon yet, or are they still in the ad sales world? Well, they're not on Earwolf anymore, but I don't know what is. I mean, Earwolf technically still has, I think it's just How Did This Get Made now. I think that's the one show they still have. Because definitely even Conan, Conan really used them as a stepping stone. He's like, he signed like a two-year deal with Earwolf. And then after he learned everything he could and could hire away as many people as he wanted, he's like, (laughs) well, see you later. I mean, hey, smart on him. So then Homer prays, and I like when Marge does the call for him. He calls her an imperfect vessel. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I'll just call a plumber. And he says, you know, thank you for working through this imperfect vessel known as Marge. I guess this episode was really hard for me to get through because a lot of new things weren't happening. And it feels like from this point onwards, from Act, the end of Act 1 onwards, it's just like Homer... He, he prays for something and he gets it. And regardless of any supernatural intervention, it just happens. And it just like mm-hmm. over and over and over again. It just feels like so meandering. Well, and he forgets why he's 
praying for stuff to get it even and i mean yeah a ton of it does not make sense also like it doesn't give him like new vision on what his religion means to him or anything it's just it's homer learns no lesson he basically even at the end of the episode that's the joke he goes like yeah, I actually didn't learn a lesson other than to fear God. Like, no no other lesson was learned. Which is the end of Homer the Heretic. But then he's told to like, no, no, it's not just that. Listen more, Homer. Mm-hmm. Then when the guy comes to check it, this is when he says there's tons of roots in there, which more roots than a top-rated TV list, which it still is one of the highest-rated TV shows of all time is in half of all people in America with televisions when the finale aired of the miniseries watched it. Yeah, I was looking at the list of the top rated TV programs of all time in terms of Nielsen ratings. And if you discount sports, Roots Part 8, I believe, the last part of Roots, is tied for second of all time with 100 million viewers. And the thing it's tied with is a 1983 movie called The Day After. But of course, number one is the finale of MASH. The Day After was a big deal because I've heard Scott Aukerman on podcasts talk about how people, you know, viewed it as like, oh yeah, this is how the end of the world's really going to happen. It was a movie that was about leading to the post-apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I think it also had, oh, everybody's getting a barcode. Wait, the barcode comes up 666. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking like where I can even stream this online. And weirdly, I mean, it's available to rent places, I think. Actually, it might be on YouTube for free. I'm looking this oh. up now just to see, like, how do I watch? I'm seeing it now. It's legally uploaded just to watch for free, which is the, the best uh, way to watch it. Well, I mean, Roots, uh, I think the book is still like one of the most beloved books. I, I feel like the... The miniseries is not talked about as much these days. I mean, I feel like references to Roots are sometimes used for offensive jokes, perhaps. Yes, like, no, yeah. it's a Roots reference. Not to go too long about Roots, but I'm watching Next Generation with my wife Nina because we're listening to the We Hate Movies podcast about Star Trek. And it's weird to think that on the show, The Next Generation, LeVar Burton is by far the biggest star. Mo- oh, yeah. More people have seen him than have seen Patrick Stewart or Marina Sirtis or Jonathan Frakes or any of those people. He's such a big deal. Like, And then he was Mr. Reading Rainbow to us. Like, oh, for I didn't sure. even see Roots until much later in life. I have never seen Roots, but I, I assume it's good. Yeah, it's good. I mean, obviously, you know, I would figure Americans should still be reading and watching Roots to understand a lot more about, you know, a racist past and present that will, I mean, it's like America's original sin. We can never really move past it. Well, in certain states, I'm sure that's impossible because those events simply never happened. Isn't it crazy now? uh, Well, I mean, I feel like these type of movements were in response to stuff like Roots, but to know that Roots was like such a huge event on television. And then meanwhile, today, like you can't read Roots in some schools like it's a banned book. Yeah. I mean, given uh, I like to think America has gotten less racist, but I'm still kind of shocked that given what our country is, that so many people watched that program. And also like with Roots, it's crazy. You don't hear about it. I feel like now in the post peak TV era, as in first we had peak TV. Now I feel like we're in post peak TV where it just feels like there's 8 million TV shows and none of are important but either way on lists of greatest tv shows ever or even greatest like tv events ever i feel like you don't see roots like you used to in it yeah i think it has slipped off the top 50 at least you know the only other times i hear about roots is how oj simpson is in it which was you know a big deal at the time okay this is news to me I just know about his role as, I believe, Nordberg. Oh, yes. Yeah. We both know him much better for Nord. Like later, 
Just a few years after we were introduced to Nordberg, we're like, wait, he was a football player and he might have killed someone. God, we're going on a long time about this. But when I watched the original Police Squad, I was shocked to learn that Nordberg is the very tall man who you never see his face. And he's just like dropping food on everyone from above. Right, right. They really did. Man, the woke police made him instead of black guy. And then they pushed him down the stairs a bunch. (laughs) But yes, we also see the reveal that Maggie is choking on drywall dust, which, okay. (laughs) Yeah, there's some weird gags in here. I mean, it's funny how Homer's like, you know, I'm glad social services didn't see that, aren't I? Like doing baby talk. But Washington crossing the Delaware on the wall, it just seems like just so random. I thought it was going to be like, oh, it's the Last Supper is going to be revealed or something. But it seems like, no, it's just another painting. It should be religious or something ominous about the direction Homer is going. Yeah, Homer should view it as a religious sign. Also, this episode kind of forgets, like, so wait, The Simpsons, how destroyed is The Simpsons' home? You know, like, I feel like we need one extra thing to be like, oh, our house is uninhabitable, you know? Mm-hmm. But instead, they head to the church. And this is where, you know, the sign at the nativity scene is fun and all. Like, it's like, you know, it's a parody of real things, but it reminds me of the back to the future sign of like your future home in hill valley when he goes back in time they even have a guy with a fedora and a suitcase walking away from it looking back and smiling like he lives there which i think was a nice little gag (laughs) yeah like he lives in the nativity scene but like you said bob this is the church's fault they have a giant hole in the ground without safety stuff around it a person will fall in it and it's their fault and even if it's maybe 18 inches deep if you're not looking you could like break a foot or uh, an ankle or a leg or or a wrist or something it is dangerous this is such a like early 90s complaint about slip and fall people at least well all right well here let's see the introduction of a character that could have been recurring but based on the simpsons wiki is not recurring dad are you hurt i think my leg is broken slip and fall can't go back to work i'm larry h lawyer jr and i will fight for you i also habla espanol so that's your answer i'll sue the church hold on we can't sue the church they'll poke fun at us in the church bulletin it wouldn't be the first time i couldn't help it those pews are so comfortable You have rights. You deserve financial compensation. He got me $60,000, and I was driving drunk in a graveyard. (laughs) Now, you're my first client who actually is injured. According to this book, that's a big plus. Homer, please don't sue the church. I'm asking you as your friend and neighbor. Can I borrow your pen to sign this deposition? Oakley, Oakley. (laughs) Why do I always give in to him? It's his skull. It's hypnotic. I laugh. That's just a weird line. Yeah. Larry H. Lawyer Jr. It doesn't work for me because the the name is a shrug and that's supposed to be funny. But I thought, you know, give him a funny name. And also he's about 93% Carl, his voice. It didn't hit me until listening to it just now. Like, no, that's just Carl. But I mean, they can't do Lionel Hutz. That's the be all end all of it. So they had Gil be their lawyer many times. But this time they're like, all right, let's make up a new lawyer who I guess this guy is like Lionel Hutz was an 80s crooked lawyer. This is an aughts crooked lawyer who, you know, says, I will fight for you. Or, you know, and also I speak Spanish. He's kind of like Saul Goodman a bit. I mean, before they, you know, conceived of Saul Goodman. But I, I do think the funnier joke, the thing that's funnier than the character is how Dr. Nick is there to give the testimonial that you would see in the commercial. He just oh, appears. Yeah. That's good. 
Well, and also the guy admits like, oh, you're actually hurt. So this is a big bonus for us on this. But it seemed like Larry H. Lawyer could have returned in more episodes, but he never did. Apparently it was in a comic book, but that's it. I assume that like whenever they have a lawyer now, it's just Gil or something like that. Uh, it's also uncomfortably funny on the commentary when they're talking about all of this suing churches thing. And I believe they recorded the commentary not long after the stuff that was the basis of the movie Spotlight came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the show is really wishy-washy about, you know, whether or not it sides with religion. I guess it's who's in charge of writing it, who has oversight. I don't think they're saying, you know, we are a religious show, but I think they also want you to think like Homer suing the church. He's gone too far. In my opinion, it's like, no, hey, church, pay your fucking taxes. I don't care who sues you. You just get free money all the time. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care about this. I don't care about Homer hanging out in the church and drinking from a keg in the church and stuff. It's just like, yeah, it's a building that serves no real function and doesn't give anything back to society. In my opinion, not to be a weird edgelord about this. That's just how I feel. No, that evil prosperity gospel stuff is that exact thing. It is. That's why they set up those scams at churches, because they know they can get people. Then, unlike other scams where you still have to, like, you know, if if you sell a product that doesn't really work, you still have to pay taxes. But you don't even have to have a product. Or I guess your product is praying together on television. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just tax all these people. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I like that Selman chuckles it off, but the, the joke about how like, you know, oh, we're not a synagogue. Uh, you know, obviously now I'd want that joke to be we're not the Catholic Church, which has endless <laughs> deep pockets for lawsuits all the time. It's slightly Lovejoy being anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I do like how they when Selman is mockingly mad at the anti-Semitism of it, then they go like, no, it's a compliment. And he's like, oh, OK. <laughs> Well, also speaking of things that feel like anti-populist, they also set up that like, oh, Homer would only win if there was a jury of idiots on there fronted by Cletus. Like, only they would give him money for... It's like, no, Homer really does deserve the money. He got injured. Yeah, and he's suing a church, so I don't care in the first place. Mm -hmm. But yes, this is when the jury finds in his favor even after watching the video, which again, it's like they did that joke in the critic crossover of Homer saying, give that man $10,000. Though I guess now America's Funny Some Videos was still on at this point, right? Yeah, Bob Saget was not the host. I think it was like John Fugel saying or something like that. Right, when it became AFV. We know about it because multiple MST3K guys went to it. Yeah, well, Trace and Frank, I think. Yeah, I think just Trace yeah. and Frank. And so instead, they decide they're going to give Homer the church instead because they don't have a million dollars, which like, I mean, that church, come on. Like, Lovejoy is not just running the church by himself. There's money in the church for a million dollars from the Episcopal Church. Or I guess the Presbyterians don't have a lot of money. There's got to be, they have to have some sort of uh, bishop figure or cardinal figure that is like the, the boss of the boss that could bail him out or something. Some church elder has been saving all. See, like we said about more scathing episodes, in Bart Sells His Soul, just that joke of like, but why would they lie? What do they have to gain? And then the cut to the money being. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Merkin was hardcore atheist, so he had a lot more cutting jokes about religion. I think there's still like a lot of Catholic guilt in Al Jean, even mm-hmm. though he d- doesn't like church and he thinks religion is wacky and this commentary really brought me back because this is probably like 2010 this commentary and it's when you could say wow that ricky gervais is so insightful it really was a different time 
Right, right. God, you you are bringing me back now. But they're mentioning uh, like, yeah, Ricky Gervais makes this joke about like, why do you athlete thank God after the football game or whatever? Just all like surface level things you think of in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. So then after that, they move into the church and this is where Lovejoy moves out. Look, this church is our only option. Don't you kids want to live here? Anything's better than that dump we came from. And there's so many places to cloister myself. The dog's on board, too. Uh, he thinks he's papered. Well, the court has spoken, so here you go. The baptismal font tends to run. You have to jiggle a handle. Oh, and Wednesday is garbage day. Sweet. I'm so sorry, Reverend. Oh, it's not so bad. We'll be staying with the Flanderses. And Rev, you'll be bunking with me. Oh, boy, does he ever... Why, you know, why is Ned wanting a married man to sleep in his bed instead of with his wife? Yeah, I guess there's just some loneliness. He needs some human warmth in the bed after so many years of being without Maud. But also, I mean, the Lovejoys don't live in the church. They have their own separate home. We've seen them multiple times. This is leaving them homeless for some reason. That is true. Yeah, they don't live in the church. I think they're also forgetting what religion this denomination is because... Yeah, they don't live in the church. And also, later in the episode, Homer is wearing, like, priest robes, like Catholic priest robes. Actually, mm-hmm. the dog comes out in them, and they've got the communion cup as well. Which I'm not sure what's what, what that's doing in the Presbyterian church. Again, I don't know much about religion, but I thought getting away from communion was the whole point of non-Catholic Christian churches, right? Well, there's, there's a lot involved in Protestantism, but this communion cup, too, I noticed, they use it a lot, and it's like diminishing returns on the gags, and I think it's supposed to be shocking, like, oh my god, can you believe they're doing this to the communion cup? It's supposed to be full of wine and old people spit, but it's on the dog's head. Homer later has it as a cocktail glass. Homer's filling it with beer. There's like five gags involving this thing. I think they just ran out of religious props or mm-hmm. S&P was like, okay, Homer can play the crucifix like a guitar for this one scene and that's it. Also, like, he thinks he's papal, like, that is, you know, it's the turn on the old, oh, he thinks he's people about a dog, but, eh. It's a clever pun. I'll give it that. Also, I feel like this episode halfway forgets that Lisa's officially a Buddhist now because, I mean, later she will bring up Buddha, but at this point when she says, like, actually, I think this is the work of Satan, which is when Homer says it's all good, like, she shouldn't believe in Satan. Like, she's a Buddhist now. Well, she's interested in cloistering herself. <laughs> is it just because now they have access to the church that they're going to do this like i wonder but it was very nice to hear that maggie roswell was brought back for that lovejoy line she's back to being helen lovejoy yeah yeah she's finally back for production season 14 i think there was like one wonky lovejoy recently but now she's returned to the role mm-hmm. yeah i think they tested it out with the treehouse that started the season and now they're like okay she can skype in in 2003 we'll stop being dicks about this <laughs> Okay, here's another issue I have with this episode. When Homer's dancing in the church, Al Jean says that, like, the censors were mad at it. And I'm like, maybe they were, but that's the exact story Mike Scully told about the scene in Omega Man in Treehouse 8, that Homer dancing naked in the church had the censors mad. Oh, yeah, I forgot Omega Man did all the sacrilegious stuff. And it was, yeah, Homer dancing to, like, dead rock in the church, right? Yeah, and better dad rock than kiss, I'd say. And then, well, and also like, and he's naked in it. So it even is the like the notched up version of it too. It's more sacrilegious. Yeah, he's got like uh, cartoon boxers on in this one, right? 
Yeah, honestly, they're too cartoonish, these boxers. Like, this is more cartoonish than they normally are in designing Homer-wearing boxers. Maybe that was the concession. Now, I can tell this story. It's been 21 years. It's about a relationship I was in that's now old enough to drink. So this was the first <laughs> girlfriend I had outside of high school. We were very young and living together. I guess I was 21 at this point, and she was had just turned 20. And a part of our regular Sunday night activities involved watching The Simpsons because, of course, I carried that with me from the very beginning of the show. And I wasn't going to stop, even though I just got mad at the show after I watched it. And one thing I learned about her after she broke up with me is that she was religious. And that's one of the reasons she could not pursue a relationship. The other reason is she wanted to have kids. And I was like, well, you're 20 and I'm 21. So, no, I think that's another reason. I'm not sure what she's doing now. She's probably very happy. We were very young. But when we watched this episode, this was too far for her. She was very offended wow. by this. And I was like, ooh, this is not going to last long. I was tucking my collar, much like when the meteor is approaching in Springfield yeah. kind of thing. Or like Lovejoy in this, uh, even in this episode, yes. too. Yeah. Yes. So, hey, this offended somebody directly in front of me while I was watching it. So uh, congrats, Al Jean. I thought it was very tame. There was no Christ on that cross, so it could have been a lot more offensive. I'm sure Peter Griffin would be like coming in the holy water and putting the cross up his ass and like humping the pulpit and stuff four years later. Yes. Yes. No, I would think so. I, I mean, it's funny to think that this joke, I mean, even at this point, there have been much more sacrilegious things on the show. But boy, I guess that's a good early out or red flag in your relationship of like, oh, all right. Well, if you can't take this, this isn't going to go great. Yeah. And I guess it's like, I think there's supposed to be some shock for the audience to see this. And to me, it's not a big deal. Like, yeah, I don't care that Homer is wearing some pedophile's robes, you know, not a big deal. <laughs> yes, I'm not yeah, putting hey, anything on Lovejoy, but... Lovejoy's not a priest, but these are priest vestments. Mm -hmm. You know what? It can do far less damage if you take it out of their hands and put it in Homer's. Yeah. And I think they're even joking on the... Con like you said, Henry, it's like, well, yeah, churches are getting sued now for good reason. It's like, <laughs> we're not on the side of the church. It just feels like, I guess, uh, to watching the rest of this episode is just the shock value of seeing these religious things used non-religiously, but it's just so boring to me. And I mean, there are many non-Catholic Christian churches that also cover for horrific crimes done to children. Like, it's not just... I don't want to just single out the Catholics, but it's just insane saying to me the catholic church still gets to exist it's like its first job is to cover for sex criminals like that's well, its main job I, i'm in canada now and there's a whole lot of things happening with the catholic church here based on some things that were dug up oh yes let's say yeah. children's bodies oh boy it's, it really sucks and they like you've said a million times henry they should not exist anymore it's insane but also insane that this scene ends with a literal record scratch. Like, oh, come on. That's too corny, guys. Yeah, yeah. They're not top of their game with this story. Also, this song, it's weird in my head because I don't think of the real version of this song. I think about how this song is used in one of your favorite movies, Bob, Moulin Rouge. Oh, great. Uh, yes. <laughs> that movie is but, just like, do you want a migraine? Uh, here's five minutes. <laughs> hey, I enjoyed that migraine quite a lot. Have you seen it lately? It's been a few years that I've watched the entire thing in one sitting. Yes. Yeah. Check back in and, and let me know how that feels. <laughs> well, you know what? Another thing that religion is good for is housing AA meetings. And this is where I'm going to be keeping a watch on this. If this is our last time seeing Sober Barney, because this is them throwing him out of AA. <laughs> I guess Sideshow Mel is also an Alcoholics Anonymous, I guess. Well, I know, sorry, Sober Barney disappears in I'm Spelling As Fast As I Can, and I think that's coming up very soon. That's the second to next episode. Yeah. yeah Barting Over is the next one, yeah. 
But yes, Barney gets thrown out of AA. If it weren't for Alcoholics Anonymous, I'd still be sucking the juice out of glow sticks. Oh, yeah. Glow sticks. I've been there. I am so sorry for all your horrible problems, but this is Art Dog's room now. Wherever shall we go? You can come to my church. And what church might that be? St. Paulie Girls Cathedral. Oh, I've heard yeah, of okay, let's go there. <laughs> Homer, that was not very Christian of you. You're right, Marge. I'll make it up to them by throwing the bitchinest beer bash this church has ever seen. Yeah, I guess they want you to be like Ned in the next scene of being like insulted and like, oh, this is so horrible, a party at the church. But uh, my opinion is like they're they're using it to have fun. I don't care. Now, I mean, less you know, damage it is, is being cruel. done to society with this current activity. <laughs> it is cruel to throw out the AA meeting because it's the dog room. That's not nice. And I feel like that Mo is always waiting behind the door at that AA meeting. He does that every week. Mo is just hiding behind every corner in this episode. I feel. <laughs> waiting to give another line yeah you're right i do believe this is the end of sober barney he hits a real low later in this very episode then we cut to barney's bolorama which hey i always like seeing that but hey, i don't know like look he's trying to preach during uh, the bowling it's okay it's all right yeah it feels like it needs to be elevated it doesn't feel simpsonsy enough it's just like a ball runs over Lovejoy's foot, and I guess Krusty is the one who threw it. it. It has to be like more extreme or more clever than something that would just actually happen. Yeah, it just feels like what a regular sitcom would do. It doesn't feel like another step up. I mean, I like Dr. Hibbert laughing at getting a cute kitty, or Krusty calling him a padre because he doesn't know Christian religion at all. Yeah, and I guess like one shout out goes to the very boring name, Best Way Linen Supply, because they're doing this impromptu church at League Night. <laughs> That's good. I do like that. And so then Lovejoy gives up. He's going to move out of town. I also feel like, I don't know, why don't we follow Lovejoy on this? Why does Lovejoy just get to magically reappear later in the episode? This should be his story at this point. We need to find out his helicopter flying lessons, where those factored in. Yeah, instead, again, this is a worse version of that episode with Marge as the listen link. Oh, yeah, in March We Trust. Yeah, yeah, and not to skip ahead too far, but it's just so weird. We have this, like, you know, the church being misused, in quotes, for this kegger, and then Ned losing his faith, and then just, like, a serious emotional act break. Yeah, I mean, I do like how... I'll give credit to Shearer, I think, doing fine with Ned, being like, why do you lie? Like, his crying is nice, but otherwise it's kind of weak. Yeah, and we've seen his faith tested before, and I don't really buy this testing his faith. Though in the next scene is when he sees that the party is breaking every commandment. When it comes back, Kent and Arnie Pie, I do like anytime they remember that Arnie Pie hates Kent Brockman. Yeah, I like that. He's coming back in a big way. My only gripe is, and you know, we're doing this podcast, so we have the right to gripe about this, is that Kent says, let's go to Arnie Pie in the sky, where it should be, let's go to Arnie Pie with Arnie in the sky. So he gets close to actually making the pun that the title of his segment is intentionally avoiding, which annoys me. I agree. You're right. They got distracted from the joke that his entire existence is built around. That's true. This is where he gets called out. His soul is as black as the Ace of Spades. Then we also get the return of the technical difficulties joke. Yeah, this one's fine. It's just a condor flying into a broadcasting tower. I like the ones that imply the cameraman is drunk or, uh, you know, a puppy has pulled the cord on the camera. I like those a lot more than this. Or that Kent Brockman has gone insane. But yeah. 
Though this technical difficulty sign does give me a reason to play a sound effect I haven't played in a little bit. Everybody hates birds, right? I think specifically it is a California condor. Mm-hmm. So, it, so it's killing an endangered species as well then. <laughs> so yes, then they throw back to Mo and he comes to the party and I feel like he forgot to do his Johnny Carson intonation as he's saying, would you believe? Yeah, yeah. Is that Don Adams? No, joke? you're right. It's Don yeah. It's not Carson. Would you it's believe a- blank or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. He should be saying it like Maxwell Smart. That's right. Yeah, it feels like Mo, uh, like, I don't know, I guess a pigeon stuffed with spam is conceivably a meal because people do eat squab, people eat meat stuffed with other meat, but rats not generally eaten and cough drops are not considered a good stuffing for meat. That's an extra low, yes. (laughs) But this is when Ned decides that he's going to have to pray with his children alone. Am I sending these people home? This housewarming party's been going on for two days. Hey, hey, you can't throw us out. I just made a Cornish game hen with chestnut stuffing. Would you believe a pigeon stuffed with spam? Would you believe a rat filled with cough drops? They've broken every commandment except one. Hey, Letty, covered some more chili fries? You bet! That's it. The whole shebang. Lord, this town may have turned its back on you, but not the Flanders. Wherever we are, you'll have your church. Are you with me, boys? Speaking in tongues. What great kids. Did you capture this from Disney Plus, this section? Yes, yeah. Okay, got it. Because for some reason, it might be my speaker setup, but Lenny didn't say you bet. It was in the captions, but he didn't say it. So it could just be my end. I always think Nancy Cartwright does a great job at speaking in tongues. Whenever she's asked to, she does that. Hayden's fine there, but Nancy does it best. Yeah, Nancy really blows her out of the water. (laughs) You know, Pamela Hayden's great at lots of things, but the speaking in tongues, Nancy's got her beat. All this commandment comedy, again, it feels like a worse version of the Stealing Cable episode, I have to say. And then you immediately come back for more Mo. It's like Mo joke. Back to Flanders. How about another Mo joke? What's Homer doing? I don't know. Mo's funnier. What if Mo sexually harassed Barney? What if that like, which I guess it's a reversal of in season four, we are deep into Barney hitting on Mo. And for a little while, they would like that Barney wanted to have sex with Mo. <laughs> I guess it was just an easy go to in the mid 90s. Like, what if this character was suddenly gay? <laughs> but Barney going yoo-hoo to Mo is not as gross to me as Mo watching Barney undress and him saying slowly make me forget my troubles I'm like ugh, ugh. well things didn't work out with Swish so Barney is available Jesus that's very dark also too like what happens with you're seeing it in the background but they barely talk about it until the very end they're cutting down a forest next door and burning it all the time like I mean you can see Willie has not cut down trees and is putting wood in the bonfire but it is not clear for the line that comes later. When Leach mentions that, I, I was thinking, is this just a, a statement about Springfield in general, or was this party doing something? That was the closest I could recognize it to the party doing something. But really, I think it just was like, no, they just decided. I mean, again, South Park 
this is wannabe South Park. Like South Park would say like, oh, these three things happened that caused a, you know, impossible weather event. And maybe it was God. But they're not doing even the shoe leather that a South Park episode would do to set that up. Mm-hmm. Here's another clip I do like that not all of the false idol comedy, but just this realization from Carl here. Full house, Jack Silver twos. <laughs> Read him in strip, Bond. <laughs> Slowly. Make me forget my troubles. Oh, I hate this game. Look at all this. The great food, the party, the sunshine. It's hard to believe one god came up with all this. Well, there's probably a lot of gods. Yeah, and some of them's gotta be chicks. Yeah, with like a thousand boobs. Woohoo! That's the god I'm gonna worship. Well, there's only one god for me. Your dad's old hunting trophy. On Dasha, on Dasha. Man, I must be wasted. <laughs> Very weird, but funny. I feel like Apu should be on hand to talk about how sometimes there are multiple gods. Yeah, you know what? That would make a better multicultural episode. Or at the very least, like, that was one of their smartest moves in Homer the Heretic that they credited to James L. Brooks. He's like, no, it should be multiple religions save Homer's life. It shouldn't just be Christians and say, like, oh, Christianity is the one true faith. But here, when they're describing how there could be many different gods and not just one, Marge is looking on in horror of, like, no! And I think we're supposed to think like, oh, they've gone too far as like the good semi-Christians watching this at home. I feel like we're supposed to be on Marge's side where it's like, yeah, some people are polytheistic and actually I don't care. Yes. Yeah. Let him worship Lenny's dad's old hunting trophy and maybe eating a bunch of food in front of a fire is good, though. Though probably they're getting salmonella from that half cooked meat they're chopping on. Sure. Uh, Trichinosis, you name it. (laughs) But yeah, this is where you can see the trees being cut down in the background and then the sky starts to fill up with clouds, which again, this feels like a tree house, you know, like this is just too big a turn. When the flooding starts, I was thinking like, where is this going? Is this going to be like the end of Simpsons Bible stories where they go to hell? But like, I forgot the ending of this, but it's very abrupt. Homer starting a fire in his home through bad actions, like that's very believable. Now, the way the house is fine the next week, that isn't believable, but that's a believable problem that could happen. However, a giant flood happening in basically two hours in Springfield that destroys everything, by the way. did I would guess everybody got a big FEMA grant at the end of this episode. Yeah, this is before Hurricane Katrina, so we didn't know how unreliable that service was. This is when the clouds start forming. And here's the thing I do like in religion or in talk about religion in this episode where Homer's like, ah, God's all good. And then Marge is like, see, I don't know that he is <laughs> like Marge is pointing out that like, hey, you know what? If you actually believe the Bible, this guy's mean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Homer even came to that understanding. And I think I married Marge where he's like, oh, God, he's always happy. Oh, no, wait, he's always mad. And in this case, the rain ramps up so fast Homer gets zapped by lightning, but he's fine in the next scene, of course, Uh, breathing comfortably, as you would say. (laughs) (laughs) I do like as there as the problems are happening. That's when I believe it's Rod says, let every evil lung fill. He's gleefully looking forward to the deaths of these sinners. Finally, the sinners are going to take it. This is where they drive away with the ark full of only male animals who then are doing gay stuff, which... Four months earlier in air date, and probably written a year before that, is Futurama's Crimes of the Hot. Yeah, there are some parts of the Bible I like and others I don't. 
right. Yeah, Randy has only male animals on his arc for a different reason than Ned does, I think. I didn't check that there day, but I immediately thought of that better joke. I mean, I do like Ned, like, hey, cut that out. Like, but they're up to biblical flooding. You know, it's just like, all right, I get it. It's Noah. But they're not even going all the way with it. Though then again, maybe Al Jean just loves flooding Springfield because he did the exact thing in Mom and Pop Art. Oh, you're absolutely right. I'm looking at my notes. They think they're getting a lot of mileage out of Homer, like, being very reverent. Like, oh, Lord, show us me the way, you know, like, speaking in these very reverent tones. But again, it's the same thing over and over, and it just gets very boring. Mm-hmm. Well, this is where Homer's prayers are not working at all. Oh, wet and wonderful God, your flood has driven us to the roof of your church. Surely this has proven whatever point you had. Oh, God's ignoring me. Dad, maybe you should stop praying. See if that makes it happy. This heretic has doomed us all. Yeah, I say we skin him alive and set him on fire. Yeah, that'll appease God. Appease who now? Let's get biblical. Yes, let's get biblical. Is that like, could be like a reference to like, let's get medieval or something or? That's what I figured. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I figured that. But I mean, appease who now? That's okay. And I did chuckle at Bart saying, how about you stop praying and see if that helps? He, and he calls God it. Like, see if that makes it happy. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's good. We're all about to kill Homer. And this is when Lovejoy returns for no reason. And then his prayers just work. And this should have just been, like you said, Bob, the Simpsons Bible stories. Just have it be like, okay, this ending makes no sense. And this ending will make it clear that this is not a real episode. I also think that there's like a weird timing issue on this joke. Uh, And it's not even a strong joke, but I feel like the spotlight is supposed to hit Homer there's supposed to be maybe like a few seconds for you to wonder like, oh, is God speaking to Homer? Is a light from the heavens hitting him? And then you see the helicopters there. You see the light and then less than a second later, you hear the helicopter. You pan up to see it. I feel like there was some miscommunication there or there was some mistimed gag there. No, the execution of God pre-Jones, like that works so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so there's a little deleted scene here before the ending, which I think, I don't know, I actually chuckled at this more than the ending we got. So basically, Homer says in the deleted ending, from now on, he'll only pray for the common good out of fear for God. And then they cut to Ned driving on the ark, and he's complaining that the animals are eating each other. (laughs) And then he says, Todd, where's Roddy? That would have been the original ending. Hey, I kind of like that more. I prefer it to just the wackiness of cutting to... I think Al Jean likes cutting to God too much. I think he likes ending episodes of God. And this is exactly how Homer the Heretic ends as well, with an appearance by God speaking. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess Buddha is there as well. This is where Lisa tries her best to explain how this ending is at all possible. Let us pray, dear Lord, please spare this sinful town. They were misled by a demon in blue pants. I guess I learned something here. God is capable of great anger and great mercy, but mostly great anger. There are perfectly logical explanations for everything that happened. The bonfire sent soot into the air, which created rain. And with all the trees cut down, a flood was inevitable. Yeah, but what made the rain stop? Oh, Buddha? Hey, they've suffered enough. Keep that popcorn chicken coming, Colonel. Mmm, 
Mmm. Not bad. Think it's about time for you to tell me what's in those spices. Yeah. I, I wrote groan in my notes because it's like a joke about the secret herbs and spices in 2003, I guess, written in 2002. Still doesn't really work for me. And then when did you learn something, Homer? And he says, yes, God is capable of great anger and great mercy, but mostly great anger. And I'm thinking of the ending of Homer the Heretic where he says the same thing. And then he's corrected. And like, well, Homer, you see, God helps you through, you know, your friends, be they Christian, Jewish or other or whatever the line is. And then <laughs> miscellaneous. Yeah, miscellaneous. Yeah. There you go. Which is a better ending, which is like more meaningful in a discussion about religion and whatnot but here it's like what if heaven was wacky town and mm -hmm. that's what we went out on yeah they're like oh you're supposed to be shocked that like hey god and buddha are in heaven together and buddha is the one telling god to give it a break and yeah the 11 herbs and spices thing which by the way i looked it up in 2016 i'm not gonna list them all for you but in 2016 somebody discovered what is likely the 11 herbs and spices and it's mostly like salt and pepper and flour <laughs> I assume it would just be like one chemical solution that they just sprayed on the chicken at this point. At this point, sure, yeah. But I believe it was that somebody took a picture of like Sanders family recipe and it was right there on the page and nobody noticed it when it went out publicly. So look up the recipe for yourself. I don't know. I'd have preferred to see the ending where Rod gets eaten by a lion or something instead of uh, instead of. Buddha and God and Colonel Sanders all hanging out in heaven. And hey, this is our Thanksgiving episode, I guess. It's like spanning the <laughs> Thanksgiving holiday. So don't eat popcorn chicken for Thanksgiving. Maybe you can make your own popcorn turkey. Try that at home. Ooh, that sounds tasty, man. I just bought my frozen turkey breast I'm going to be cooking up for Thanksgiving. I was going to visit my mom, but she's going to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a Thanksgiving locale. <laughs> she can enjoy her retirement however she wants she, she can have you know time. i skip canadian thanksgiving i could potentially have two thanksgivings here if i want to but i choose not to for my own health as a boorish american you're going to force american thanksgiving on canadians though right of course of course <laughs> i'm making it my mission to change the day because early october thanksgiving i don't think so i like the nice like slide from thanksgiving to christmas just my mood improves things get better like thanksgiving really signals the holidays are here and it's time to have fun for about five weeks also, in the early October, it's like the air isn't crisp enough yet, especially with climate change. It doesn't feel like fall has fallen yet. Yeah, there are still summery days, but I guess we're getting off topic because we don't want to talk about this episode. That's not very good. We just enjoyed the dad who knew too little not too long ago. And to some extent, I mean, the strong arms of the moss seems like a very funny episode compared to this. This is just I won't even say it's aggressively bad. It just is so tepid that I had problems just like doing my normal notes because it just was the same kind of gags over and over a few standout lines a few desperate mo lines but like you said henry i think this is the low the low light of the season so far yeah it is to me too i feel like even the animation is kind of they're doing their best but yeah this needed another rewrite that's for sure like these young guys and by young i mean probably like 28 at the time 29 uh, i'm guessing like 35 but it could have used another rewrite and i just don't feel like they this shows you where the difference between having george meyer on the staff merkin on staff i feel like they have stronger things to say about religion than al Jean does no offense to gene al Jean is still a little afraid of god too much of a believer that's the problem he needs yeah, plausible right. deniability in case any of these episodes are shown while he's at the pearly gates and he needs to back <laughs> himself up <laughs> right well i wasn't too mean uh, <laughs> i agree uh the weakest episode so far this season we shall see if i stand by that i really thought strong arms of the maw was going to be my lowest one this season but nope nope 
Well, hey, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Talking Simpsons. If you want to support the show and get these episodes one week ahead of time and ad-free, please go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Sign up for five bucks a month. You can get just that, but also access to over 150 full-length bonus podcasts about shows like The Critic and Mission Hill, Batman the Animated Series, Futurama, and King of the Hill. And by the way, that five bucks a month also gets you a new episode every month of both Talking Futurama and Talking of the Hill. And the second you sign up at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons, you get all those podcasts we've been making for the past six and a half years almost. So that's a ton of podcasts that you have not heard if you're a fan of us, and I assume you are at this point. So check it out at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. And there is a $10 level as well. When you sign up for that, you can access all the $5 stuff naturally, but you can also access one mega long podcast once a month, only for patrons of that level or higher. And what is that, Henry? Bob's talking about what? A cartoon movie podcast where we talk about an animated feature film. Super in-depth, just like a crappy episode of The Simpsons. But this month, it's not animated so much. It's the return to our pals, the Muppets, to start the holidays right with the Muppet Christmas Carol. And last month, we covered the classic 1986 anime film, Project Aiko. We have passed five whole years of What a Cartoon Movies. We have over 200 hours of exclusive podcasts for $10 and up subscribers there. And you get all the $5 things Bob just mentioned. We've covered everything from Akira to a goofy movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse to Beavis and Butthead, Do the Universe. Please check it all out for yourself at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. And I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. And my other podcast, by the way, is called Retronauts. That's a classic gaming podcast all about old video games. You can find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts and sign up there for two full-length bonus episodes every month. And I have a new book out, by the way. If there is a gamer in your life who demands a Christmas present, consider buying them my Boss Fights Books volume all about Day of the Tentacle. It's my in-depth oral history about that classic point-and-click adventure game. And that is available wherever you buy books or at the Boss Fight Books website. Again, that is the Boss Fight Books volume all about Day of the Tentacle. And Henry, how about you? You can follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. I'm always tweeting up a storm there. I'm also on Blue Sky and other social media as well. Keep a lookout for me. And if you're following us on social media, please follow the official accounts of this podcast at Talk Simpsons Pod on IG, on Twitter, on so many other places. You will stay in the loop whenever new stuff happens. Did you miss out on our Portland live show back in October? You'd have heard about tickets first if you were following us on social media at Talk Simpsons Pod. And of course, if you would like an easy to follow list of all of our previously released free episodes, head on over to TalkingSimpsonsPodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening, folks. We'll see you again next time for the latest episode of our community podcast, Talk to the Audience, and we'll see you then. was hiding behind the drywall. Yes, you were. I'm glad social services didn't see this. Yes, I am. <coughs> oh, you coughed up some drywall.